Hello and welcome back to Softcats Explain It podcast series. This is episode seven of season six and we are here after a small break in the schedule and we are back with a corker. My name is Dean Gardner, Softcats Technology Director, and I'm still the host after a busy few months of AI, AI and a bit more marketing around AI. Seriously, though, is everything AI now or just language models that are able to learn things badly? Who knows? Well, hopefully we do. So we're here to still explain it. Every episode, our team of experts are here to talk tech in simple, jargon-free language. And today, not AI. So the key is in the title. And on that note, I will introduce today's topic. We are heading into the quantum realm. We are here to discuss this mythical technology that could be as revolutionary as the toaster. Just kidding, a toaster actually works. But that's the point of the discussion today. Is quantum a reality? How fast will it move? And what are the motivations for moving to quantum computing? And actually, what are the possibilities as they appear to be potentially endless? So to help me become enlightened, I'm joined by our very own Jon Snow, Gareth Price, Softcats Head of Corporate Sales of the North, and Adam Hammond, our quantum expert from our very good friends at IBM. Welcome to you both. Hi, Dean. Good morning. So let's jump straight into the questions, shall we? First question, Adam, not a quantum question, but your job title has Distinguished Ambassador on it. And I am curious to know what that actually means. So one of the challenges that we have with quantum computing is that people don't really know what it is. And probably more importantly, people don't know what it is. So what we've been doing at IBM is, is that we've been putting in place this network of technical specialists that we call ambassadors, who are really there to help people understand what quantum can do, what it can't do, to cut through the hype, to make sure that it isn't overhyped, but also to make sure that we have realistic and, and positive conversations. Me being distinguished, it sort of means that it's my day job. It means that I spend a lot of time talking to customers. And in fact, you can probably hear some noise in the background. So I'm, I'm currently here at Twickenham Rugby Stadium, where there is a uh, quantum conference, quantum tech, where a lot of the quantum industry and the ecosystem in the UK has, has come together. So my job here is to advocate for IBM. It's to talk to people about quantum. So that's, that's really what an ambassador is, is all about. Brilliant, Adam. Um, and, and just on that then, so, um, so you, are you just talking today? Are you, are you up on stage or is it just a, a contributory listening thing? No, I'm here today as a participant, um, but one of the things that these conferences are really good for is for getting face-to-face time with people that you know I'm already having conversations with, um, maybe talking to clients who are starting to do industry interesting things with quantum, and it's an opportunity for us to talk and, and to hear what state-of-the-art is in terms of quantum computing and, and um, a real emphasis here on also keeping ourselves quantum safe. Oh, okay. We'll come on to that later. So let's go on to the quantum stuff. Let's get into the, the crux of it. So so what is quantum computing in its basic form? And why has it become a topic that's, oh, it's gaining traction across the tech industry and beyond? I'll come to Adam for that one. And Gareth, really keen to obviously bring you into that as well um, when we get an answer from Adam, if that's okay. Yes. So it's very tempting to think that with all of the progression that we've got, with our sort of classical computing architectures and hardware, that, that we can attack any problem. Um, but it turns out that there are whole classes of problems that classical computers are never going to be able to do or never going to be able to do at the kind of scale 
or at the kind of cost that we need them to do to be practical. So, for example, we're never going to be able to simulate the way that nature works, you know, chemistry, biology, physics on classical computers because fundamentally they won't scale that far. So quantum computing is a completely different approach to computation. Um, in a way, it's the first time in the industry that we've gone back to first principles of physics and maths. And, and what it does is it uses the slightly weird phenomena of quantum mechanics. And, and I suspect many listeners will have heard of things like superposition and entanglement and interference. And it turns out that if you use these phenomena, you can attack certain problems, and it's only certain problems, it's not going to be everything, you can attach certain problems in a very different way. And some of those problems are things that we really can't do very well classically. So, for example, if you're going to simulate nature, nature is by its very essence quantum. Um, and so being able to simulate nature on a quantum computer is a far more practical prospect. But it also turns out that things like quantum machine learning may allow us to get better insight from data than um, classical machine learning might do with a smaller amount of data, or we can do better optimizations. So while this is not a general purpose approach to computing, the areas where it shows promise are areas where companies are spending millions and millions of pounds in doing research, such as drug discovery or new materials for electric vehicles or hedging and um, financial instruments, optimizations of portfolios. And that's why we're seeing a real interest because these are real life problems that, that you know, people are really realizing that they can't be solved, you know, appropriately on a, on a classical computer. And, and Gareth, there's, I mean, there's some really good use cases and industries that we work with. What's your thoughts in terms of quantum and the impact it potentially has within certainly our customer segment? I think there's a there's going to be a huge opportunity at some point in time. I think that realization might not come for another five, perhaps ten years. Um, but I believe there's actually an opportunity in front of us now in certain aspects of, of quantum computing. Um, I'd mentioned the phrase quantum safe. There's quantum cryptography. So. I believe there's customers out there that will start to look at this stuff. It tends to be certain enterprise level customers with very significant budgets that can afford themselves the opportunity to look into this that is very speculative at the moment. However, if there is a realization of quantum computing at a global level, then I think that presents risks to businesses, certainly in the security arena. And there's an opportunity now for people to start preparing for that eventuality, um, looking at quantum secure um, environments. So when of the onset of quantum computing does come around, you've got an environment that's protected against potential hacks and exposures and risks that could come with that as well. So I feel like there is something today, probably to a very limited customer base with very deep budgets but longer term i think more companies are probably going to have to get serious with it as, as we do hopefully realize quantum computing and it comes of age and that's interesting in terms of where we are where it's going she's saying it's one of those things that's on the horizon but there's an immediate opportunity challenge um, that's happening probably in the it world today and certainly within i can imagine uh geopolitical landscapes where there's maybe a race almost a 
uh, a race to quantum. And Adam, do you think that is a thing that is happening in the world where people are trying to get there as quick as possible to, for the betterment, but also to Gareth's point, to, to mitigate and manage risk and security when those things do come? Do you think there's a race in that space? And do you think it's almost a political one as well? So I think there is a race in that space, absolutely. And and I think the political element of it is that because this is a brand new technology, because you know we don't have 50 years worth of incumbency as we do in traditional IT, it's it's all out it's all up for grabs. So not only have we not solved all of the hardware problems, but actually we're only just at the stage where the hardware is good enough and big enough to generate the software industry around it. Um, and, and I sort of liken it to how it must have been back in the 1950s at the start of mainframes when we didn't have operating systems, we didn't have middleware, um, and people were, we didn't have the algorithms that we take for granted in the libraries, and people were having to write the stuff from scratch. And that's sort of where we are in the quantum world today. The difference is, is that the rate of progress is frighteningly fast. And because we don't know what we don't know, that horizon for useful quantum is getting closer all the time because we're working at the cutting edge of scientific discovery. So, you know, there are things that we know now about how you would build a quantum computer and build the software for it that we didn't know three months ago because of the scientific papers that have been published in the last three months. So it is certainly true today that there is nothing that you could do on a quantum computer that you couldn't also do on a classical computer. I think it's also fairly clear that we're now getting to the edge of that. And, you know, we're probably decades away from a universal quantum computer, but I suspect that we are closer than that to a computer that can solve one or two things better than a classical computer. And those one or two things will be very meaningful. For the clients that that want those things to happen, um, and that's why we're beginning to see an interest from certain clients. And you know, it's not so much deep pockets in terms of needing access to quantum hardware. That's you know relatively straightforward. It's deep pockets in in terms of recruiting the right skills. You know, there's a lot of focus on mathematics. This is all about mathematical modelling. And being able to put aside the resource and the budget to actually address something that doesn't give an immediate return on investment. You know, that's a balancing act. So if you're a big financial institution, which can see that, you know, within the next five years, for example, there's an opportunity for you to make millions more or to save millions, then that's probably an investment worth making today. But there are, you know, conversely, as, as Gareth said, there are many companies that are basically looking to the time when there will be a package they can buy off the shelf that says this is the problem i've got to solve um and if i happen to have a quantum back end to use it use it i don't care about writing the middleware and software myself i just want to use it and do you see any particular industries going faster and further than others i think it's those industries where it can have a lot of financial impact so for example we're seeing a real focus from financial services um, in things like portfolio optimization and, and things like that. But we're seeing other industries start to play. So anything that has, any industry that has a network, whether that's a, you know, a routing network, whether that's a, a, you know, an electricity supply network, they're starting to explore the options. Um, we're seeing a lot of interest in life sciences, for example. If you think about the amount of money that gets 
thrown into drug discovery or discovery of new materials. You know, the promise of being able to simulate, well, first of all, use something like quantum machine learning to select what materials to even go forward with and then simulate the way those materials behave before you actually have to go into the lab. As you can imagine, that's going to save billions and potentially open up a whole area of new materials that, you know, just by the sheer difficulty of, of doing physical experimentation, you know, you're, you're limited. Um, and so typically that's where we're seeing. You know, I've noticed a change over the last 12 months where everyone sort of is a little bit more informed about it and is a little bit more interested in exploring it. But also back to the point that Gareth made about quantum safe, you know, so the way I tend to put it is quantum will help us solve problems that we haven't been able to solve before. Unfortunately, we've used the insolvability of some of those problems to keep us safe, in particular, the fact that we can't find the prime factors of large integers. Now, we know that with a large enough quantum computer, we already have the algorithm that does that. That happens to be the one that most of our public key cryptography works. So we know that with a large enough machine, there is already an algorithm that will allow us to crack asymmetric cryptography, which is what we use to keep us safe. And so, you know, back to Gareth's point, absolutely, companies need to start mitigating against that risk, bearing in mind that although we might be, I don't know, guess out of the air 10 years away from a machine that could actually do this, the question a company's got to ask themselves is, what data do they have today that's encrypted that would still be valid in 10 years' time? And I'm sure if you look at your clients, and certainly if you look at our clients, there are huge numbers of clients that hold personal data, financial data, health data, that will absolutely be valid and useful to hackers in 10 years' time, even if they you know, stole it now and, and couldn't have that access it for that time. So, so, so it is an important point. Um, you know, it's not something to panic about. We know what the solution is. We already have the solutions. Um, it's a bit like a Y2K problem. But, you know, I certainly we certainly do advise clients that they need to start thinking about it. And they need to start thinking about how they manage cryptography overall. It's sort of the one last bit of the enterprise architecture where people don't actually have a hands-on view of what crypto they're using and how to manage it. And, and that's not just about quantum-safe crypto. It's also about vulnerabilities in existing crypto and how do they manage that so it's important to get going but it's it's not something to panic about so let me but let me cover that because because it's easy you're right to to say something and not panic about it but i just want to cover that and gareth to your point because you did raise it the so what adam was saying there as a summary was that we've got encrypted systems today technology we sell that basically right now quantum has the ability to unpick that's kind of what i understood from what you just said although that hasn't maybe gone into mass production in the hacker world. It's something they're obviously, and from what you said, they're looking at and they're going to probably start using at some point in the future. And you have to mitigate against that risk. But Gareth, do you think the, the, the industry is going quick enough or understands that risk? Because what was just illustrated there was it, it, it's possible today, but by, by all accounts. So are, are we sort of sleepwalking a little bit into a challenge over the next X amount of years where this could be happening without us even knowing? I certainly feel like it's a topic of conversation we should start talking about more, particularly with our enterprise-grade clients and particularly those in the industries that Adam's referred to, financial services, pharmaceutical, logistics companies. Um, 
I definitely feel like we should, should start to talk about this and not be afraid of this conversation of this weird spooky world of quantum that nobody wants to go in because you don't understand it. From what I believe, Adam will correct me if I'm wrong, there are mandates coming out from MOD, from military in the US, that, that is mandating that you've got to start looking at quantum secure solutions now. So... It is coming from government in certain areas, particularly for NCI, that you need to start looking at this stuff um, and vice versa for, for corporate institutions in those um, areas I've said before. So I'm really keen to start having this conversation and not be afraid to have the conversation because it's highly likely, certainly in our larger customers, our enterprise customers or, or our NCI customers, that someone there will be looking at this and it's a good conversation to have with them. I mean, the other point I would add is that the solution to this is not, you don't need a quantum computer. This is all a classical solution. Fundamentally, it's new quantum safe algorithms. And as you rightly said, Gareth, the US is, is taking the lead on this. Um, these algorithms are in draft form today. They will be finalized early next year. And then it's a matter of implementing them. Um, they can be implemented on the same architectures that, that we have today. You know, you don't need a quantum you know, computer to be able to implement these algorithms but as gareth said you do need you know people need to start thinking about it today you know the reality is quantum computing will change the world in terms of what it'll enable us to do we just need to mitigate against the risks that that also brings us and and you know that's typically the way i would portray it there's a couple of things um first of all what does the future look like? Which is a huge question. And I, I know he's got a crystal ball. I'm not asking you to give me, you know, Nostradamus level insights, but but just a kind of an opinion in terms of what quantum could could do in the future. But also you mentioned, you know, the, the, the research and building of new materials. We've got a you know, plethora of problems in the world around environmental and climate change, et cetera. And there's plenty of studies to say that certain techniques we use to create concrete or build buildings, et cetera, and how we do things just generally every single day, they have to be revolutionized to be able to solve some of these future problems around climate change and environmental. Do you see that quantum and the acceleration of that has the ability, based on what you've described earlier, to create new materials, new ways of doing things and, and to produce that research much more effectively than we could have done in the past? Yeah, so I'm always going to talk in the future tense because, you know, this is not something, you know, we can do small science experiments today so we can demonstrate that in all of these areas we can, for example, simulate very small molecules and, you know, the machines are not yet big enough, they're not yet reliable enough, they're too noisy to actually do real science problems like that today. The progress, you know, we're, we're progressing really fast. So you measure the capacity of a quantum computer in qubits, quantum bit. And the quantum bit defines the amount of information that you can put into the problem that you're solving. And just to give you some idea, just from IBM's roadmap, two years ago, our largest machine was around 27 qubits. Last year, it was 127 qubits. We now have 433 qubits. We'll be over 1,000 qubits by the end of the year. 10,000 qubits by 2026, over 100,000 qubits by 2033. So the hardware is progressing and each revolution of that hardware becomes more reliable, reduces the noise. On top of that, there's a lot of research from IBM and from others going into, you know, how do we use classical processing techniques to take the noise out of it to allow us to, to move faster, um, and that's been a loss of the focus of the scientific papers published this year. 
So we published a paper about three months ago in Nature that demonstrated we could take a fairly abstract science problem and run it on a quantum computer at a point at which the classical computation specialists actually had to really scratch their head and work out how they were going to do something to solve the same problem on a classical computer. Now, thankfully, they managed to do that because there's another issue, which is, you know, at the moment, when we solve a problem on the quantum computer, we can check the answers right by doing it on the classical computer as well. And there's this big question about, well, once quantum computers can do stuff that classical computers can't do, how do you actually check the answers correct? Which actually goes back to the whole issue around verifying the content from generative AI and, and stuff like the whole concept of verifiability. And that's clearly really important in regulated industries. So, you know, I, I wouldn't put a number of years on it because I think every time I've made a guess that that horizon's come in closer. So all I would say is that I, I would be very surprised if there wasn't somebody somewhere doing something useful with a quantum computer, you know, maybe in the next five years. It won't be everything. It won't be everybody's problem. But if one client can be doing something that is meaningful and gives them return on, on investment, then that's going to trigger this race even faster. So the reality to it, the reality to it is a lot of what you're saying from what I'm hearing, possibilities. Um, there's things that we think are possible. There's th things that the community that you sit in are saying, you know, this is exciting. This is going to revolutionize. This is going to change the technology landscape. But it's all about use cases, real life use cases. Um, and actually, as you say, once someone or an organization or whatever it is finds that use case, it's a light bulb moment situation, do you think? In, and that's kind of what you're describing. And Gareth, do you, do, you, do you sense that as well? Do you sense that's kind of on the horizon um, from what we're seeing? I, I, I do, as Adam agreed with that there is there is a race here politically that there's billions upon billions of dollars of investment going in at government level whether that's the us china the uk even and when you've got that level of investment and focus at a government level then i think that the the, the drive is there that something will come of this and and it will come of age at some point in time you talk about the complexity of logistics and some of the logistical problems that quantum computing could solve is, is significant. So I think with the investment that you're seeing, certainly politically and by state level investment, the investment that you're seeing in education, certainly universities, the collaborations you've got. I think one was announced recently between, was it LA and Tokyo, Adam? There was a big an announcement about those two universities working together on it. There's a huge focus on it. And I just personally can't see how we've all got this wrong and nothing's ever going to come of it. It just it, it just has to work at some point in time when you see what we've achieved in previous years. Yeah, I mean, I, th I, think, I think it's important for people to understand that the concept of computing at a quantum level is not new. Theoretically, Richard Feynman published his paper in the 1980s. IBM was talking about this in the 1980s. The challenge has been the scientific discovery to actually build the things and the engineering. And and honestly, it's, it's, it's almost more of an engineering challenge to build these machines so that they, they work reliably enough to use them for, for computing. But, but the concepts behind computing at a quantum level are fairly well proven. You know, we just need to build the hardware and the software stack to actually make it reality. And I think that's what's exciting. But, but scientifically, we sort of know it's a, it's a done deal. We know we can do it. You know, we need to follow that up with the hardware and software that makes that real.
And who's building the hardware today? Obviously, IBM are, are doing that. And, 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 and are there others? Um, and obviously, you know, feel free to plug other vendors if you wish. But also, although I know IBM are obviously doing a fantastic job. But yeah, any any views on, you know, what's happening in that world of the hardware? Software obviously coming, but hardware is so important, isn't it, to this thing? Yeah, so absolutely. I, IBM is leading the pack. And I, and I think I can say that, you know, not just as an IBM, but as as as, as a, a, a genuine assessment. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. Well, I, I, it's, a, it's good. You know, so we have the largest size machines and we have the largest number of machines available on the cloud for people to use today. You know, in a limited way, you can get started for free. The software stack is open source. Um, and, and that's deliberate because it's to get people going and interested and, and in there. Um, and, you know, although I would say the machines are of, you could debate whether they're alpha quality or beta quality, the service around them that we offer and our competitors offer um, are increasingly commercial grade services to access this early hardware. I think skills are a challenge. And, you know, up until now, you know, there's this bit of assumption that everyone has to have a PhD in quantum physics. That's not true. And what we're missing is we're missing the quantum coders in the same way that we have classical coders, the technicians. Um, and, and quantum, you can use a quantum computing without a deep insight into physics, but you do need good maths. Um, and, you know, there's some interesting conversations going on around whether the math syllabus is strong enough in secondary schools and, and, and universities. It's not a million miles away from data science in terms of the skill set. So, so you know, we, if you look at what we've done to develop a data science skill set, you know, in the UK over the last five years, um, you know, we know it's certainly possible. But, you know, back to money being invested, you know, the UK government announced in the budget an additional 10-year programme with a £2.5 investment a lot of that is going into startups spin outs from universities the in particular the hardware scene in the uk is is huge and we have you know a lot of vendors who are very focused on delivering hardware there are different ways of delivering these qubits there are you know we're sort of in that vhs beta max for listeners who are old enough to remember that you know so so for example companies like continuum oxford Quantum Circuits, Orca, you know, these are three very prominent UK-founded companies who are all looking at different approaches to building quantum computers. We don't know who's going to be successful yet. Clearly, we hope that IBM will be. But the amount of government funding and the amount of venture capital going into driving this industry means that progress is, is fast. It's almost the fastest moving Emerging technology I've ever seen in my sort of in my career. And, and Gareth, the commercial aspect of this in future is it going to get to a point, you know, similar to what we do with HPE, Dell, Lenovo, Cisco, where there's servers and you've got switches and you've got all this stack? Do you see it becoming a similar mode of computing and storage and all that stuff over the next 10, 15 years? Do you think it will get to that point? Considering the complexity of these machines and a lot require um, environments that are very hard to control, close to, to um, absolute zero temperatures in some cases, I think it's highly likely you'll see them delivered over a cloud environment like IBM are doing at the moment. So you're not going to see companies buying kits in a traditional manner of storage and servers and they'll consume it via the cloud and it'd be the, the hyperscalers ultimately who are building that out back end. So our opportunity 
as it is becoming in our normal traditional world of IT is probably going to be down the cloud route with it. I think Adam said something to me when we met recently about the ecosystems that will spawn out of this for the production of all those chipsets or whatever the hardware is that is required. There may well be opportunities around that. When I think about how we may monetize this, I definitely believe there's a conversation we can have with companies today about their quantum awareness and certainly the, the cryptography piece and the quantum safe element. But as, as Adam's alluded to, that there are loads and loads of new companies being created in the UK alone and globally that didn't exist, that will be using traditional computing to build their quantum environment. And that is an opportunity for SOCAT to sell our traditional stack into those as well. So there's almost two aspects to this, but certainly longer term, I'm expecting it'll probably be delivered in, in, in a cloud environment and will hopefully help around that. And it's that whole concept of, of, of new jobs that don't exist yet will exist in future technology and hardware and software that doesn't exist today will exist in future. It's that speed of innovation and evolution that naturally we've seen for the last X amount of years. It just sounds like this is another massive wave of that over the next X amount of years as well. Yes, I think so. And and, and I think it's important to recognise quantum computers are never going to stand alone. It's a hybrid environment. And in fact, you know, all of the things that we have to do today around data science, all of the, you know, data cleaning, data engineering, that's all classical stuff and that will still be needed. And, you know, the way to think about it is in the same way that you have GPUs in your workflow today, you'll have QPUs at some point in the future. And so, you know, the skill sets for integrating these QPUs, you know, whether they're cloud delivered or whether you're one of the, the few people who might actually physically buy a machine and put it in your data center. Um, and that certainly will be a possibility in the future. But it is, as as Gareth said, it's 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 a whole new skill set. But it's a skill set that also has to work with the existing skills of things like enterprise architecture, security, data engineering. You know, these are all things that people are doing today, and quantum just becomes another modality for maybe solving a problem using the same data um, and and you know integrating it into it. So I, I think it's a huge opportunity, you know, even for classical enterprises because. You know, not everyone needs to be a quantum algorithm specialist, preparing the data, integrating into the enterprise environment, etc. These are all classical skills that, that will need to be applied in this space. Thank you all for joining us today. And as always, thank you, our audience, for listening. And please remember, we like to hear from you. So why don't you leave us a review as it goes a long way to help us to make this better for you. We will be back soon with another episode of Explain It. So keep listening. 